Blog Talk Radio. Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense. Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you today. I'm excited about what we're going to talk about. We're going to come back to the book of Revelation, and we are going to look at the signs of the times through the biblical lens and seek an interpretation that is worthy of this moment for you and I. So I hope you're ready. I want you to get your Bibles out wherever you are. Get a notepad, notepaper, and I'm going to share with you what I've learned over the last 39 years of my life. I am by no means an expert in these things, but I do know how to read, and I have been granted the ability to view some of the things that are going on in the world today. And I believe collectively, all of us together, we could come up with a picture that is perfect for this moment and understand what's happening in the world today. And the document that I am going to refer to today for the source of information that we are going to be going through is the document called the Revelation. We have at the back of our Bibles, after 65 books in the Bible, a 66th book. And that 66th book was something that was written Way beyond the letters of the apostles, this is going into the year 96 AD. Some people say even a little bit deeper into uh, uh, that time frame. It is way after the 70 AD event, and we are going to study this document, and we're going to look at it because what we know and what we understand is that the book of Revelation, are you ready? You need to take notes right now because I'm going to breeze through this. It's going to take a few minutes, then we're going into the scriptures, but you need to understand something about the book of Revelation. 
Number one, understand the book of Revelation. Oh, I want to wait for more people to get online with me. I know we're going to go somewhere and people need to be educated in this book because too many pastors in too many churches are timid about studying this book, and rightfully so to a degree, but we need to understand that we're a generation, we're living at the time when the book is opening so that the understanding is opening as well, and I'll, I'll get into that as, as we get into some other things here, but for, well, why don't we start this way, you ready, and just I'm welcoming everybody, we're going into the book of Revelation, I believe that what we're going to study today is going to be impactful and it's going to straighten out some of our theology and our eschatology, you know, an outline of end time events that are going on today. And we're going to look at this incredible book of Revelation. All right, so I'm ready to go. I'm welcoming all of you today. God bless you. It's so good to be with all of you. So here we go. Without further ado, without further delay, Number one thing you want to know about the book of Revelation, okay, and I'm going to let the Bible interpret itself. The book of Revelation, and I could hear people shouting it, is a prophecy. The book of Revelation is a prophetic utterance. It is a prophecy. How do you know that? Well, it says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, and I'm going to take the time to do this, and then we're going to just soar, okay? So Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, blessed is he that reads, and they that hear the words of this prophecy. Keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. All right, so just what I want you to note is that from Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, this document, this letter, this book of the Revelation is a prophecy. A prophecy is prophetia in the Greek, and it means a foretelling of future events, a foretelling of events that are to come. So we have a book of prophecy, but it doesn't stop with one verse. Everything should have at least two or three verses to confirm it. So we go to Revelation chapter 22 in verse 7. And I believe it's Revelation 22, 7 and 8. And here's what it says. Behold, and this is Revelation 22, 7. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keeps the saying of the prophecy of this book. The prophecy of this book. Twice we have a prophecy. Verse uh, 9, is it? Let's see. Verse 10. It's 7. 10, 18, okay, so 7 and 10, verse 10 in Revelation 22, and he said unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand, and then we go down to verse 18, and it says in verse 18, for I testify unto every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Verse 19, and if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. 
five times, Revelation 1-3, Revelation 22, 7, 10, 18, and 19, this document, the book of Revelation, is a prophecy. Now, there are several different views about this prophecy. One is a preterist view. The preterist view is that the book of Revelation was fulfilled in 70 AD, and they try to place the writing of this somewhere back in the 60s or the 50s or something like that, because that fits into the paradigm of preterism. But listen, if this were true, if the book of Revelation has already been fulfilled, then Jesus Christ should be ruling in Jerusalem at the right hand of God. There should be a millennial kingdom. The dragon, the beast, the false prophet should have been cast into the lake of fire. The bottom line, it is not supported by the Bible itself. The preterist view that all things and hyperpreterism is that all things have already been fulfilled. There's nothing left to say. We disagree. We believe that there are some elements of preterism. There are some things that have been fulfilled. I mean, there was a scattering of the people. There was the destruction of the temple and all of that. But this book shows us that there will be a temple again when this book is opened. And that's why so many are waiting for the temple to come through in the Middle East right now. Anyways, preterism is a view. Hyperpreterism should be rejected completely that this is already fulfilled. And, of course, we should understand that. And I'm pretty sure we're going through loud and clear on the um, blog talk radio. I hope so. The next view would be a symbolic view where people read the book of Revelation. They see dragons and beasts and four living creatures. And, you know, so they look at the book as a symbolic view and, and they use symbology to say, well, here it's talking about a cup, but it's really referring to something else over here. And so a lot of symbology, we reject the idea that the entire book of prophecy of foretelling of future events is all symbolic. We believe that there is some symbology within the book, in the context. So we're not afraid to admit that there is some element of preterism, some element of symbology. And then the third view is a historical view. And the historical view of the book of Revelation, that it began 2,000 years ago, and it's just been the history, it's been a historical unfolding events that have been going on for 2,000 years. There's some reality to that, but we do not believe that we're reading a book of past events, a historical view. Look at the history of where we are. We believe that history has not yet been made. And so while we disagree that any one of those particular views are complete, we accept that there are some elements of each one of them. There are some historical uh, realities. There are some symbolic realities. There are some mild preterist realities in the book. There is a fourth view. The fourth view is where I lean personally, and that is the futurist view. And when I see that this is a book of prophecy about future events, I believe this prophecy, okay, and I hope you're staying with me here. I believe this prophecy was foretold 2,000 years ago, and that it is designed by God to be fulfilled at the end of the end of the end of the ages. It is the prophecy of what will be in the last days. You say, well, how do you, how do you count that? Let me read to you something out of Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. I want to show you a mystery here because it's awesome. And so Galatians chapter 4, and this is the reason why I believe this prophecy, while for 2,000 years people have been investigating the prophecy, I believe that there's a reason why 
the futurist view is accurate. And here's what it reads in Galatians chapter 4. And I'll start in verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world, but listen now, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son. Let's look at that. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. Okay, so there was prophecy going all the way back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, the first prophecy of the end, the first prophecy of the seed, which is Christ, was written. And from the days of the Garden of Eden till the days of Jesus Christ, when he appeared on this earth the first time, were 4,000 years. For 4,000 years, there was, and what I'm going to do here, just so I don't get myself distracted for just a moment, I'm going to go this way, and I want to open this up. So for 4,000 years, there were prophecies. They started in Genesis, but all throughout Scripture, all the way from Genesis to Malachi and everything in between, Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy about the coming Messiah, Isaiah chapter 9. It goes on and on and on. It just never ends. Prophecies, hundreds of prophecies about God's Son, the Messiah that would come to save the world. There are people that tried to say, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah. They were never the right one. But when the fullness of time came, that's what it says here, when the fullness of time was come, So that fullness of time talks about a kairos moment. It talks about in the economy of heaven, when everything was ripe, when everything was ready, when everything was absolutely precisely set time, is what kairos actually means, at the exact moment in the economy of heaven, God sent his son. Now in linear time, the chronos, that's a space of time. We see this 4,000 years. But God had planned on bringing his son to this earth before the foundation of the world. I mean, we know that through scripture. So in the economy of God's heart and mind and his knowing as the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, God knew everything in advance. And we're told here in Galatians that at the exact time, which took 4,000 chronos years, the exact time God sent his son, he'd been prophesied. So why I get into that is because here we have a prophecy, the book of Revelation, that was written 2,000 years ago. And a lot of people say, my God, if if the book was written 2,000 years ago, then by all means it must have happened. Well, that's like saying, well, if the prophecy of God sending his son 4,000 years earlier, then by all means during those 4,000 years he must have done it. No, it had to wait until the exact time. It's not until the exact time set time that God sent his son. It was at the perfect time in the economy of heaven. There is no beginning, no end, okay, in the Kairos. Same thing with the book of Revelation. It is a prophecy that has been waiting for its moment of 
fulfillment. Now, another thing we need to realize, in Daniel chapter 12, we know that God gave Daniel a lot of prophecy. And if you've ever read the book of Daniel, you'll know that Daniel and Revelation run hand in glove. They almost work perfectly. So in Daniel chapter 12, one of the last things that God says in verse 9, Daniel 12, 9, after telling him about uh, all the events that were going to happen in the last days, he talks about technology is going to explode around the world. There'll be an increase of knowledge. People will be traveling all over the world. I mean, he's giving all these clues to what the final generation would be. And then after God told him all of these things, And what I just said to you is very important, by the way. There's never been a more technological explosion than in our generation in the history of the world. I mean, it's just never been like it is right now from, you know, all the incredible advancements in technology and all the other things that are going on in our society. But we also have people traveling all over the world, just like Daniel said. We have technology exploding. We have Israel becomes a nation. But then God says in verse 9 to Daniel, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Okay, so there's the prophecy that God gave to Daniel that's connected to the book of Revelation is a sealed book. In other words, the words are closed up. And the idea is that people are going to be running to and fro. They're wanting to understand. For 2,000 years, the people are reading the book of Revelation, and everybody's looking, which is wise to do, and yet the full message can never be fully understood by any other generation than the generation to whom this is going to be fulfilled when God will begin to loose the seals. So remember, Daniel's book says the book is sealed. When we get into Revelation chapter 6, you're going to see that there are seven seals upon this book. And the word seal in the deepest Greek literally means to understand. So in other, in other words, when we open the first seal, the understanding of what God is actually saying in that generation to whom the prophecy is given will be fully understood. That generation will understand it. They're going to look and say, wow, I could see it. You could be a third grader. And that's my approach to the book of Revelation is a third grader. So we have a book of prophecy. We have a prophecy that's been traveling 2,000 years, waiting for the set time, the exact time, the exact moment when the, all the world is a stage and the stage is set, a time where God's going to squeeze and throttle all the events into being. I mean, this is all the Greek in Revelation chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. So we have this amazing reality in our generation. Of all the past generations, we are the 50th generation. If you count a generation as 40 years, and 40 years times 50 is 2,000 years, 50 is a jubilee number, we are the generation of the release of all things. That's another story. So here we have Revelation, this prophecy, a foretelling of future events. And I also wanted you to know that the book of Revelation is not a jigsaw puzzle, that there is a divine order to the book of Revelation. And again, this may shift our paradigm and our thinking, but it is a reality. The book of Revelation is not a jigsaw puzzle with a billion pieces that you got to figure out and put together. In fact, if you begin just in the book of Revelation chapter 2 
and you just read, there's the first church, the second church, the third church, the fourth church, the fifth church, the sixth church, the seventh church, to the seven churches. Then when you get to chapter four, let me just do this real quick. For those of you who have never known this, when you go to Revelation chapter four, verse one, listen to how it begins. After this, I looked and behold. After what? There's a sequence of events. The, the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. Then, after this, I looked, and behold, chapter 5, verse 1, and I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne. And is a connecting word. It takes one event to the next event. It's the, it's the and. So, I saw this, and I saw that. So, and I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book. Chapter 6, verse 1, and I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. Chapter 7, verse 1, and after these things I saw. Chapter 8, verse 1, and when he had opened the seventh seal. Do you notice that every chapter is beginning with and? And it's not just in the chapters. It's in between the chapters where you have seven seals, and it begins with the first seal, the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, in divine order, not the first seal, the third seal, the fifth seal, the second seal, not confusion, one after another, sequential events, chapter 9, and the fifth angel sounded, chapter 10, and I saw another mighty angel, chapter 11, and there was given me a reed unto a rod, Chapter 12, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven. Chapter 13, and I stood upon the sand of the sea. Chapter 14, and I looked in lo a lamb. Chapter 15, and I saw another sign in heaven. Chapter 16, and I heard a great voice out of the temple. Chapter 17, and there came one of the seven angels. Chapter 18, and after these things I saw. Chapter 19, and after these things I heard. Chapter 20, and I saw an angel, 21, and I saw a new heaven and new earth, 22, and he showed me a pure river of water of life. Why do I read that? Because I want you to know when you study the book of Revelation, you're studying a prophecy that's been waiting for its time of fulfillment, that it will not be a confused jigsaw puzzle. It will be one event after the other, which we're going to look into today, and there are some other incredible realities about this book. The book of Revelation must be understood through the lens of the global reality. This is not a Middle Eastern-centric book. It is not a Jewish-centric book. It is not about Israeli-centric thinking. This book of Revelation, when you look at it, involves every living thing in creation. It involves the sun, the moon, the stars. It involves the oceans and the fish that are in them. It involves the deserts and the mountains. It involves all living creatures, the beasts of the earth. It involves every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every culture of mankind. It incorporates angels and demons and dragons and beasts, and it is Everything. And you need to see that this book of Revelation, this final prophecy, is to the whole earth, which is very interesting because that means if we are the final generation, if we are the Jubilee generation that are going to witness the things of this book becoming a reality in real time, that means you're in the book. So again, 
look at this book as a global reality. This is God who created all things, saying this is what's going to happen on the earth, in the heavens, all created beings, angels, demons, principalities, powers, everything is incorporated into this prophecy. That's amazing. So these are just little tidbits. And another thing, what you need to understand, what we want to view, at least admit that this is a reality, the first five chapters of the book of Revelation really have no prophecy whatsoever in them. Chapter one is an introduction. It tells us who the book is from, who it's given to, and what it's about. And then, of course, John has a revelation of seeing the Messiah in his glory, falls down into the feet like a dead man. There's so much detail to go into. We don't have time to do that today. Chapters two and three are simple letters to the seven churches. Why did God choose seven churches in Asia Minor? I mean, he didn't choose the church of Galatia. He didn't choose the church of Thessalonica. He didn't choose the church of Corinth. Uh, He didn't choose any of those churches. He chose seven churches in Asia Minor in the middle of the world because the the number seven represents completion. In other words, when we read the seven letters to the seven churches, we can glean from them things that we need to know about our walk with God. These letters are to us. They are to the church age for the last 2,000 years. And don't ever forget that one day is with the Lord as a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is as one day. So when we talk about 2,000 years in God's economy, that's like two days. So it's not as long as we think. We've only been here a few years ourselves. All right, so... Chapter 1, introduction, chapter 2 and 3, letters to the churches. We could all, throughout the church age, we all could have read those letters and found room for repentance and things that we needed to change in our lives, be encouraged to be overcomers. Chapter 4, this is where John is taken into heaven, and he's, he, he goes beyond the veil of this world, the physical world, into the throne of Almighty God. The reason why that is happening, now some people will tell you, there's the pre-trib rapture, has nothing to do with a pre-tribulational rapture. John going through the door into the throne of heaven was to get a download of what he would be prophesying. Every prophet of God that has ever been apprehended by God has been separated unto the Lord, and the Lord has showed them something. I mean, Ezekiel saw the heavens opened, he saw the living creatures, the wheels, Isaiah saw the throne of God, and he had the long train that filled, I mean, every prophet has been encountered by God from Moses and back, you know, the burning bush, and all the way through Jeremiah, what do you see, and, you know, uh, Amos, what do you see, and all prophets have been encountered by God. John is entering into a prophetic role, and in chapter 10 of Revelation, God actually says, you're going to have to prophesy again which means he had been prophesying all along. So John is in heaven. He sees amazing things. He sees him that sits on the throne. He sees the four living creatures. He sees innumerable innumerable amount of angels. He sees the seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, giving illumination to all things. Nothing is hidden from God. There's a crystal sea. Some people like to call it a crystal ball before the throne of heaven that All things are wide open to God. He sees everything in perfection. And so we see this incredible reality about the throne room of God. And then chapter 5, but there's no prophecy. Chapter 5, all of a sudden we come to this place where there's a book. And this book that's in the hand has seven seals on it. And the seven seals are what connects to Daniel chapter 12. It's a closed up book. 
It's not ready to open. People are trying to peer into the mysteries, but they can't find out the true meaning simply because it's a closed book. And all of heaven is weeping and John is weeping and everybody's asking, oh my gosh, we got this book here. It seems to be the title deed, something very important. Who can open the book? And the revelation comes that Jesus Christ, the worthy king, has the right to open the book when he's ready to open the book. He's the only one. So it's all about the timing. So chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, pretty much all introductory. And then there are the seals. And again, when you study in the Greek, the word seal means understanding. In other words, when that first seal opens, there should be an understanding of what's happening. And all of a sudden, the book of Revelation begins to flow in a divine order of sequential events that we should be able to track. And so in our generation, I know it sounds a bit arrogant to think that of all the generations that we're the ones that are going to be in this book. Well, it's really not arrogant. It's simply wisdom. It is the right of every one of us to search these things out and to see whether or not they are true. Do they fit the pattern? We don't try to squeeze things into our paradigm. We don't want to fit things into our paradigm. They need to be clearly understood, and they should be. So having said that, let's go to the book of Revelation, chapter 6. And what I want to show to you is what I believe is true, number one. I believe, therefore, have I spoken. I want you to know I'm very teachable. If you have something from the Lord that could help me understand more, I'm wide open to it. This is what God has taught me. I believe this is what my study, Holy Spirit, looking into a prophecy, searching it out, what is the meaning of it? Here's what I've learned. I'm going to present it to you. It may shift your paradigm, but I want to show you simplicity, okay? Absolute simplicity. Book of Revelation is a prophecy. First five chapters, all introductory. The prophecy begins in chapter 6, where we're going to begin. So here we go. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals... And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. All right, so let's break it down a little bit. Number one, we have a white horse. And I want you to get that. If you would write it on a piece of paper, just write white horse, write on a piece of paper, because it's going to have meaning here in just about 15 minutes. So I saw, behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow. Now, the word bow is very interesting. Because it is the Greek word toxin. And what I'll do, why don't I do this for you? I'll give you the exact Greek on these words, okay? So I'm going to put here that he had a bow. So let's do had a bow. And I'll give you the exact Greek. You can look at it yourself if you have a concordance. And here's what we're going to come to. 
The word bow is toxin, as I said, and here's what the actual Greek is on it. It is T-O-X-O-N, toxin. It simply means a bow, and it talks about the simplest fabric. So we have a fabric. Some people have identified this as parchment. Some people have identified this maybe even as a book uh, with a fabric that protects the pages. But there's a deeper meaning to the word bow, and we go into that, and it is tiptoe. So we go from toxin to tiptoe. The word tiptoe in the Greek literally means to produce. Now watch how this works. Watch the divine order. It literally means to bring forth as a woman giving birth. This is the definition, a woman giving birth. And it, again, means to be delivered in travail. So when the prophecy begins in the book of Revelation, it opens with the very first seal that gives us understanding that the moment we enter into this prophecy, it's going to be like a woman giving birth. It's going to be what is known by Jesus in Matthew 24, the beginning of sorrows, the beginning of sorrows, which means while we're looking through this book, the events that are going to take place are going to be global events involving all of creation. It's going to be happening at the same time all over the world. There are going to be signs Famines, pestilences, wars, rumors of wars, deception, deceit, lies. I mean, everything, trouble, destabilizing times, commotions. All these things that Jesus talked about as the beginning of sorrows. Here you have, in the book of Revelation, a woman giving birth, being in travail as the first part of the definition. Now, let's go back just a little bit. And I thought that is absolutely phenomenal. So it's a time of birth pangs. And then we move on in verse 2. I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow. Who is sitting on this horse? What is this horse? You want to know right now? Let's take a look right now. Let's get the principle out. I want you to turn to Zechariah chapter 10. Again, we want the Bible to interpret itself. Zechariah chapter 10. And what it says, and I'll start in verse 3. You could do the homework of going before and after. Zechariah chapter 10, verse 3. Listen carefully. Mark this down in your Bible. My anger was kindled against the shepherds, and I punished the goats for the Lord of hosts has visited his flock. The house of Judah. Now, you know he's talking about people here, right? But what does he say? The Lord of hosts has visited his flock, the house of Judah, the remnant, and has made them as his goodly horse in the battle. Okay, here's the principle. The horse represents a people. Here, the Lord chooses Judah to be a goodly horse for the battle. Now let's look at a mystery. So first principle, when we read about the horses in the book of Revelation, we're talking about people groups. 
Now, we're looking at a white horse in Revelation chapter 6, and some people have thought, well, that's got to be Jesus's horse. No, it's not. It's a counterfeit, and we're going to get into that counterfeit in just a moment. The horse that's here in Zechariah 10, God had made them his goodly horse in the battle, okay? And then let's go down to verse 5. They shall be as mighty men, this Judah, which tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. So he's choosing Judah as a goodly horse that he rides, and yet they are mighty men that tread down their enemies in the battle, and they shall fight because the Lord is with them, and the riders on horses shall be confounded. Now, I want you to separate the four horses that we're about to study in Revelation 6 as the riders on horses that will be confounded by this one horse and its rider, Jesus Christ. So where do we find Jesus riding a white horse? Well, hold your finger there. Revelation chapter 19. And here's what we read in Revelation 19. And I want you to know that this event happens way after the Great Tribulation. This happens way after the wrath of God in Revelation 16 is poured out upon the nations of the earth. Look what happens. Verse 11. Revelation 19.11, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. Now, this white horse is not the white horse of Revelation 6. You'll see that in just a moment. But here, the heaven is open, behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. There's none other description than Jesus Christ himself sitting on a white horse. But it's not an actual horse. It's people. And in Zechariah 10, it's Judah, the remnant, the purified overcomers, the holy ones. That's what you're going to find out is a reality here. So in he and in righteousness, he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written. And remember, the rider on the white horse in Revelation 6 has a crown, right? He had a name written, no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. That is none other than Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. Now he's got an army of white horse riders, but he's riding his white horse, his overcomers, okay? Clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. With it he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress and the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All right, we're going to stop right there. Here's the point. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 6. We know that there's a white horse in Revelation 6. It's a counterfeit. It is a deception. Whoever's riding this white horse, this particular people group, there's a rider on the white horse of Revelation 6. He's bringing in the beginning of sorrows. I wanted you to see that horses represent people groups. It's important. And in the last days, when Jesus comes, after the Great Tribulation and all the events that are written in this book of prophecy, he'll come riding on a white horse. He's not here yet. So who is the white horse in Revelation chapter 6, and who's riding him? Well, when you put all the clues together, here's what I came up with. I came up with the white horse is a people group, and I believe that what began the beginning of sorrows 
in the world, in our generation. Uh Uh-oh, I got to tell you another mystery. Remember, okay, please write this down. All prophecy is fulfilled in Scripture when Israel is a nation. Listen to me here. In 70 AD, Israel was scattered. They no longer were a nation. They did not become a nation again until 1948. That means for over 1,900 years. Bible prophecy concerning God's people really could not take place. During Egypt, Israel was a nation within the nation of Egypt. During the Assyrian Empire, Israel was a nation. During the Babylonian Empire, Israel was a nation. During the uh, Medo-Persian Empire, Israel was a nation. During the Grecian Empire, Israel was a nation. During the Roman Empire, Israel was a nation. But after that, for 1,900 years, Israel is a scattered people. And not until 1948 do they come back. 1967, they fight for their independence. And today they are a full nation with a capital in Jerusalem. That is profoundly important. So the white horse here is a people group. I believe that the prophecy has begun on 9-11-2001. I want you to consider a few things. The people group, the white horse, just like Jesus has his white horse, Judah, The people group, Al-Qaeda, on 9-11-2001, Al-Qaeda, that's what we were told. It was Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda. The word Al-Qaeda literally means the base or the beginning or the foundation. Now, you put that into the clue of Revelation chapter 6 that the bow represents a fabric, maybe even a book, who, if the horse is Al-Qaeda, meaning the beginning of sorrows. What happened on 9-11? Did the world change while Israel was a nation? This is the only global event that has taken place since Israel has been a nation. World War II was over. We came into the era, and we had some minor things go on, but there were no real global events until 9-11-2001. On 9-11-2001, the whole world shook. Every nation around the world through a group they called Al-Qaeda, the base. So this is the Islamic Muslim reality. This is the Islamic world, and you're going to find a mystery here in just a moment. So the rider on that horse, in other words, who is the rider? It's the one who steers the horse. It's the one who guides the horse. Jesus Christ guides his people, doesn't he? But he has a book. It's called the Bible, right? So what other fabric, what other book would the writer on the white horse, Al-Qaeda, have? It's called the Koran. It's called the Hadith, the Islamic books, okay? So the writer would be Allah, maybe the prophet Muhammad, And Prophet Muhammad, who wrote the Quran or had it written and all the stories and the hadiths about him, all this Islamic reality begins with Muhammad, who worships a God called Allah, 
and Muhammad is steering and guiding the thoughts and the actions of the horse, the beast, because horses represent also beasts. We'll get into that in just a moment. So you have a people group called Al-Qaeda on 9-11-2001 who were inspired by the Quran, who was written by Muhammad, who worshiped a God called Allah. And on 9-11, they, what? What happened? He sat on him that had a bow and a crown was given unto him. There was a victory. There was something of a success. A crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. On 9-11-2001, this beginning was crowned. The rider on the horse was crowned. Success. He took down the Twin Towers and shook the world. And what did he do? He went on conquering and to conquer. All of a sudden, the London bombings, the Spain bombings, terrorism exploded around the world. There were red alerts, there were orange alerts, yellow alerts. All of a sudden, the Patriot Act came in because of 9-11 and the privacy of American citizens and citizens around the world were invaded by the Patriot Act. People were using the event to get control, to have access into people's personal lives. Something happened on 9-11. You had to line up and go through detectors and you had to be searched and frisked and everybody was afraid and more bombings and more terrorism. It was a time that the globe was shaken around the world, all over the world. It began on 9-11-2001. I think it's also interesting that not only was he given a a bow, but you could also look at the bow, the fabric, the bow, the toxin, the beginning of sorrows, the thing that begins the beginning of sorrows. What do you normally carry with a bow? Arrows. And what happened on 9-11-2001? Aeroplanes were flown through the sky. They were shot through the sky, and the arrows struck the Twin Towers, struck the Pentagon. One of the arrows fell down in Pennsylvania. We had aeroplanes flying through the sky. Who rides and who carries a bow? Let's go back and let Bible prophecy interpret itself. Genesis chapter 16. Listen to this. We read in Genesis chapter 16, and I'll pick it up in verse 11. I believe I want to go there. And it says, And the, Lord, and the angel of the Lord said unto her, this is about Ishmael, and Hagar. You remember Abraham had a child named Ishmael. Hagar was the midwife. You remember that story? And now Sarah didn't like the idea that Ishmael was taunting her son Isaac, the real promising. So God said, listen to your wife, send Hagar and Ishmael away. So now Abraham sends Hagar and Ishmael away. They're going to die. But it says in verse 11, the angel of the Lord said unto her, Hagar, behold, you are with child and shall bear a son and shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction and he will be a wild man and his hand will be against every man's hand and every man's hand will be against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his people. So God literally put into the DNA of Ishmael to be a wild ass of a man, a wild beast of a man. Ishmael, the Islamic world, the true Islamic world, is a wild man. The nations can't control him. They could use him, but they can't control him. He's a wild man. God's put something in him. 
But who is he? Well, turn over to Genesis chapter 21, and let's look at verse 20. So we have Ishmael, the wild ass of a man, and then we go to 21 and verse 20. It says, I'll start in verse 19. This is when Ishmael was ready to die in the wilderness with Hagar. God opened her eyes. And she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad Ishmael drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became what? He became an archer. What is an archer? It's one who carries bows and arrows. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. The nation of Islam, the Muslim Ishmaelite bloodline scattered around the Middle East predominantly, is a reality. I believe that the writer in Revelation chapter 6, when you put all the clues together, when you put it together, we have a possibility, we have a potential event that shook the earth while Israel was a nation on 9-11-2001 through a people group called Al-Qaeda, the base, the beginning of sorrows, and you put it all together that were led by the Quran. They were inspired by the spirit of Allah through the spirit of Muhammad. They went, they killed some people. They went on conquering and to conquer. And we went into the Arab Spring, a lot of it. We'll talk about more of it. So, this is what I believe. This is what I'm beginning with that on 9-11-2001, this prophecy known as the book of Revelation began. Well, if that's true, then what was the next thing that happened? Well, the next thing that happened in verse 3, when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse, another people group, that was red. Power was given to him that sat thereon, and that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. In Islamic theology, the sword of Islam is a very powerful symbol. This red horse is another people group coming out of the world of Ishmael. First, we have a people group called Al-Qaeda. Then we have in Revelation. Now, I want you to notice something. This red horse was a war horse. Now, I want to put some data together. So, in America, you have the red states and the blue states. The red state represents the Republican Party. George W. Bush, the president of the United States during the 9-11 event, was a Republican representing the red state. And what did he say? He said, we are now in a global war on terror. He identified four particular nations, and he said to the world, you are either with us or you're with the terrorists describing Ishmael again, who would be a wild man, whose hand would be against every man's hand, and every man's hand would be against him. George Bush, the red state Republican, is calling for global war on terrorism, and you, the nations of the earth, have to make a choice. You're with them or you're with us. Separating the class war described once again in the Bible. But it's not just the Republican Party. Another thing was that the Revolutionary War 
of the Arab Spring. What came out of this whole 9-11 event as the, everything was moving forward? Well, you had wars going on everywhere. You had the total Arab Spring where revolutionary wars, governments being toppled, economies being destroyed, new governments coming to power. Go back to 2010, 2011. It's all there. And it wasn't just that, but it was also the global war. And the wild man was thirsty for blood, and he was ready to roll. Okay, so these things are happening around the world. You also have the red representing communism. And it may be awkward to understand, but it's a reality, even going back to Albana, who was an Islamic leader right before World War II with Nazi Germany's Hitler, that the communism and socialism and, and, and people that were, uh, these, these ideologies were actually working together with Islam toward a, a common purpose, destroy the Jews off the face of the earth. Hitler hated the Jews. Muslims hate the Jews. They combined their forces, even though ideologically they were worlds apart. And yet they joined forces and began the persecution to destroy the Jews off the face of the earth. Is that going to happen in the last days? Is it going to be to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles? Or, in other words, is persecution coming through these people groups in the last days? I believe so. And I believe that the scripture is clear that the red horse and its rider was another terrorist group. We know that there's a Hezbollah, Boko Haram. We know that there was the red horse of global war and civil war. Now, notice something about these horses. These horses do not commit one event and then disappear. They go forth conquering and to conquer. So there are events that they re are released from the gate, but they continue to ride to the very end, which means terrorism will continue on to the very end. I believe we're about to see an explosion of Islamic terrorism around the world again. I believe that's going to happen. Time will tell. We'll see. So here we have now a white horse and a red horse. And then we move into chapter 5. When he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, come and see. I beheld and lo, a black horse. So write that down. White horse, red horse, black horse. He that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny. See, you hurt not the oil and the wine. What is that talking about? Famine, economic imbalance, and the price of food soaring. Now, we have to ask, since 9-11-2001, have we seen famine? We've already seen Al-Qaeda. We've already seen the beginning. We've already seen the red horse and the war horse go on, where there's wars and rumors of wars, a global war on terrorism with George W. Bush. And then we see the black horse of famine. If you study it out and see the famine that has hit the world, remember, this is not American-centric. This is a global prophecy. We saw people starving to death. We see it today. Famine hitting the world. Food prices beginning to soar. The black oil of the desert, the prices beginning to soar again. Did it, though, since 9-11? You bet. Even in America in 2008, there was a crash that took place where millions of people lost everything they had. There was a housing market crash. There were people that were high, flying high on the hog that lost everything. And there was drought, 
in our country. They're expecting the greatest drought to come right now that hasn't been in 1,200 years. There was, we know that there, because of flooding, we lost crops. We saw millions of head of cattle in Nebraska and Iowa, South Dakota, through that torrential dreccio that came down. Um, and we saw millions of cattle floating upon the waters, dead. And so we here in our own country witnessed this type of activity. But remember, when the event begins, it will continue on. We expect more terrorism, more war, more famine, more global food prices rising, and the quality of food diminishing. And the only way to have decent food will cost you a lot of money, the black horse. Then we read in Revelation chapter 6, verse 7, And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the, vo- the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked and behold a pale horse. Now the word pale there literally speaks of a greenish, greenish colored horse. Now, this horse had a name. And the name that sat on him was called Death. I want to liken this fourth horse, what we've had all the other people groups, by the way, in North Africa, the Islamic terrorism that happened while they were going through villages. They were taking the bodies of different Christian communities and in other communities, like in Nigeria right now. It's an epidemic. The crisis is like it was in Syria. The Nigerian Christians are being slaughtered by Islamic terrorists. Don't think this is... uh, you know, gone, it's everywhere. And during, since 9-11, 2001, you would go to villages and see 500 to 1,000 bodies piled that were burnt to death. The villages destroyed. The people were forced to wander, having no food. Come on, all these things were happening by Islamic terrorists, different people groups. And there's a lot of them, from Hamas to Hezbollah to Boko Haram to Al-Qaeda. But now we come to the fourth horse, and this horse has a name, and his name is Death. And hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with the hunger, with death and with the beast of the earth. So who is this fourth horse, this greenish colored horse? I liken this to Isis or ISIL or Dash or whatever you want to call them. But Isis came on the scene out of nowhere. We began to see in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, A black Muslim man hanging out in a mosque went into a business and cut the head off of a 54-year-old white woman shouting, Allah Akbar. We began to see news media. We saw the the Christian men in their orange jumpsuits taken down to the ocean. Beheadings began to happen. All of a sudden, this ancient, outdated, antiquated way of killing came back into the world's psyche. Beheadings. ISIS was moving and forming a caliphate, a gathering, and they were moving and they were doing and tearing down objects and all kinds of historical data. And there they were, ISIS, and everybody watched. Because remember, Mystery Babylon rides the beast, which means we got to find out who Mystery Babylon is, don't we? She uses this beast, steers this beast, guides this beast as it works its terror throughout the nations. No, we have a fourth horse. It's a greenish colored horse. So what are the colors of the horses? White, red, black, 
and green. Go to any website you want to, and you will find the color of Islam, the color of their flags, the color of their book, the color of everything is white, red, black, and green. The flag of the Palestinians is white, red, black, and green. Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, all the Islamic countries of the earth possess these colors. And I believe that God, 2,000 years ago, gave a clue to people that were searching and seeking out the end-time Bible prophecy that God was actually saying that this prophecy will begin with a people group coming out of the seed of Ishmael. It will be the Islamic world that will strike terror on the earth, literally take peace from the earth, the red horse, and you should be awakened when it happens. In 1900 years, the world was never shaken even though there was a caliphate called the Ottoman Empire, but it was not a shaking of the world like the book of Revelation said. We're in the end times. And God was telling us through this particular passage of Scripture, when you see these things begin to come to pass, no, it has begun. Wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilences, Everything Revelation chapter 6 talks about with the first four horses or the people groups belonging to Ishmael is exactly what Jesus talked about in Matthew 24, verses 4 to 8, as the beginning of sorrows. So when you put this all together, what am I saying? I believe there's nobody that could disprove it because it really, since 9-11-2001, with all the data, it shows the potential, the possibility we have begun the end time prophecy, the book of Revelation has begun. As a matter of fact, the clues of the colors of the horses representing the Islamic world that we saw move, they will move again. Believe me, they're going to ride through the earth. It's not over. They will always ride till the very end when the, horses on, uh, the riders on horses will be confounded. I told you to remember that out of Zechariah chapter 10. There's a fifth seal, okay? So our understanding should be opening. We should be looking through the biblical lens, seeing, wow, the signs of the times in an end-time generation when Israel is a nation. There's a fifth seal. And it says in verse 9, when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God. Do you know how many martyrs there have been in the last hundred years? The fifth seal opens, and all it is is a recognizing of those whose the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. They cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So here are Christian martyrs that have been killed throughout the church age. And in this last hundred years, there's been a bunch of them. They're crying out for vengeance, and what does God say? White robes, verse 11 were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. In other words, more martyrdom. And what's happening in Nigeria, Syria, China, what's happening in other nations around the world? Serious persecution. People are being murdered for their faith and for their testimony of Jesus Christ. 
It's coming to the shores of America soon. It's all over the world. And the winds are getting ready to blow like we've never seen before. And that's part of the prophecy. But here's what I find interesting. Since 9-11-2001, I can safely say every one of these events have happened. They have begun. You may say, well, they've been going on for 2,000 years. Maybe. That's okay. What that tells us is that the prophecy has been opened and is beginning. But remember, 70 AD, Israel was not a nation. So the exclusion of the idea that, well, it's been going on all along, this is the revelation. No, the revelation prophecy is when Israel is a nation again. And you're going to see that as we get into Revelation chapter 11. You're going to see that in Revelation chapter 7. So this is very exclusive. And it's a right now. It's in the moment. And we're in something You're witnessing the beginning of sorrows all over the world, the labor pains, the intensification. People are living in a world today where they're locked down in their homes. Government is growing. A globalist mindset is coming to power. I mean, you're witnessing Bible prophecy happening all around you. It just hasn't really gone into full-blown execution. But the beginning of sorrows has begun with the nation of Islam. I really believe that's the clue to us that the prophecy begins with the Islamic reality and it's happening in our generation. Wow. Now, here's something that I've never been able to find in 2000 years, the sixth seal. I personally believe that either this sixth seal has a meaning to it that I just have, I don't get, or it's what we're waiting for to open. And what is that? Obviously, when this sixth seal opens, everything changes. Now, everything's already changing. And you got to remember, this is global. It's not American-centric. But something big in the sixth seal. What is it? Uh, Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. The moon became as blood. Notice how the sun and the moon are now incorporated into prophecy. As I said, everything is incorporated into this prophecy. The stars of heaven fell under the earth or towards the earth like a meteorite shower. Even as a fig tree casts her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. So the sixth seal begins with a global earthquake. You'll see in a moment, it shakes the entire earth. It says in verse 14, the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Do you know we had on March 11th, 2011, uh, Fukushima, the earthquake that created the tsunami. It says it shook the island like a certain amount of space, it shook it out of its place. And this is saying that an earthquake is going to do what? Shake every mountain and island out of its place. In other words, this earthquake is going to move everything when the sixth seal opens. It says, 
when this happens in verse 15, the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains, the mighty men and every bondman and every freeman hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. So here you have the globalist community going and hiding in the dens of the earth, you know, the underground bunkers that are built all over the world in Russia, in America, and all over the world. These are the globalists, the rich men, the kings, the mighty men, the captains, and every bondman as well. The servants of these people are doing what? They're hiding themselves and saying what in verse 16? They said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, not to kill us, but to hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Uh-oh. There's a moment in time that I have not been able to mark. I can't find this when this happened. Where the Lamb of God is going to make an appearing. Not his second coming. An appearing. Where with all these events that are going on. And all the usefulness. Remember, Mystery Babylon rides those horses. The beast, ultimately. Okay, we're going to get into that in Revelation chapter 17 later on in this study. But here the Lord, the Lamb of God, is making an appearing, and he's shaking the earth. Everything's moving, and the globalists know it. The people here, they are hiding from him. And it says in verse 17, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? What does that mean? The day of his wrath means at this point in the prophecy, the, few, the, the events that are coming are no longer really man-made events. Now is going to come the shaking of the earth, the shaking of kingdoms, the shaking of man's government. And these people in the world government, we know that even though this day is coming and they understand this is going to create the acceleration while the Antichrist begins to make his way into this earth and to take control for three and a half years of a global great government for a great tribulation, we know that these things are all going to be happening. Man's rebellion, Satan's rebellion, it's not going to go away. It's just an, an, an acknowledgement that there's going to be problems. There's going to be shakings coming from the king of heaven. And then we're going to move into Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7 is awesome. So where do, where do I stop here? Let me do something. I'm going to go ahead and say uh, how you're doing out there. Uh, let's see what's going on. We've got 36 people that are tuned into the chat room. Let's see what they have to say. And I know that Rabbi Israel Goldberg is uh, a preterist, a full-blown hyper-preterist, and that he is um, trying to, you know, say that everything is preterist. I knew he, that spirit was out there. But besides my, my dear friend, um, I want to see what others are saying. So let's go back to this prophecy. Kevin Hauger saying, good morning, Diane Gravely. Good morning to you as well. Uh, Keith Carey, good morning, Pastor, and everyone on here. Please pray in the spirit for my wife, Linda. X-ray discovered a kidney infection. She may have small stones. They also discovered something else in the CT scan. All right, so Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift up Linda right now. And we pray, Father, for a divine touch 
upon Linda's body. And we ask that you would, through the redemptive power of your spirit, that you would absolutely obliterate any stones in her body, any cancer, any other disease, that you would eradicate it out of her in Jesus' name. Father God, that your energy and power to melt and to dissolve and to break tumors or any other physical ailment in the body, we plead the blood of Jesus over Keith's wife, Linda, in Jesus' name. And we declare her to be whole in Jesus' name. David, David Ellison. Good morning to you, David, Cindy. Good morning to you, Cindy. Brenda, good morning to you. I get to see Cindy in a little bit. She cuts the hair. Hallelujah. Sarah, good morning to you as well. All the way from Escondido, San Diego, California. Uh, <clears throat> Brenda Torville again. Samuel Grimes, good morning to you, Sam. God bless you and Paul and your family. Dixie, uh, the only book in the Bible to have the audacity to say you'll be blessed if you read it. Amen. There is a blessing in knowing this book. Aren't you blessed by getting some of the information right now? Phil Buswell, good morning, saints. The blessing of reading this book, The Revealing of Jesus. Amen. It is a revelation of him, along with the signs of the times. Uh, Chuck Eastridge, good morning. Carol Carey, again, good morning. Phil, praying for Linda. Amen. Terry Shannon, hello. Brenda, good morning to you. Uh, Salah Michael, now I believe that there is nothing that's impossible. You can still smile again just like I am right now because I am heartbroken by my girlfriend, but today she is with me and I'm so much happy. <laughs> All right, Stella, congratulations on that relationship. All right, now Vanessa KM is with us today. Good morning, Vanessa. Revelation 2, 4 through 6, Revelation from the slave Hagar. That's right, she was connected to that. Uh, Jamie Lynn, I had a dream when I was a little girl that I could still remember to this day. Too much to explain, but I was shown the darkness, dust, and damaged buildings in New York and was told it has begun. Yeah, it certainly did on 9-11, didn't it? More to come. Only previews. Barack Hussein Obama, grandma is Muslim born in Indonesia. You're right, Vanessa. You're right on. Uh, Kevin Hauger, those who associate with Islam have those colors in their flags as well. It's true, they do. Um, Charlotte Lowe, good morning. Good morning, Charlotte. And good morning once again to Kim Waltzkins. Uh, don't stop. Thank you. We're going to get into the teachings. Uh, Cody Flowers is with us today. Hello, Cody and family. God bless the Flower family. Tasha's with us as well. And blessings to the family there. And also, Kim Watkins, love, give, uh, give birth from Sarah's tent, not Hagar's. Yeah, amen to that. So study the story. So where are we at today? All right, so we don't have too many comments on what we've said, but I want to know what your thoughts are in this book. I want to know, have I been successful in describing to you this book of Revelation, making it really easy to see chronological events unfolding one after the other, are we considering more deeply that we are the generation that has entered into the prophecy, that the prophecy has begun in our generation while Israel is a nation? Is this the beginning of sorrows? Have we given the evidence? The definitions have. Are we there? Are we waiting for the sixth seal to open? Revelation chapter 7 moves on. And in Revelation chapter 7, we get to 
a very interesting group of events, and I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to wait till tomorrow. I'm going to wait till tomorrow before moving into Revelation 7. Um, let me address uh, this. No, we're not going to address it. We're going to leave that alone. So let me just say, if, if I were to take this and put Revelation chapter 6 all together, what does it mean to you, what does it mean to me, that the beginning of sorrows in Bible prophecy has begun? What it should mean is that we understand something. And I want to go back to Matthew chapter 24, because here's the clear message, and you'll find this in Mark 13 and Luke 21. The clear, unadulterated message from Yeshua himself was simply this. In verse 4, and see if you can't tie these events in what we just read in Revelation 6. Matthew 24, verse 4, Jesus said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. And we should. There's a lot of deception, a lot of trickery all over the world. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. So a lot of people are going to say, I'm anointed to do this, that, and the other thing. He said they're going to deceive many people. And it's just a reality. People look the part. They say things, smooth, deception. Be careful. Islam is so obvious. I mean, is the Islamic uh, gospel, the Quran, the Hadiths are so obvious they're so anti-Christ in so many ways. They actually preach the biblical antichrist, and they think it's their savior. A lot of deception, but it goes deeper than that. But that's not the only thing Jesus said to be careful about. He said, you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Is that happening? Well, the, the second horse, before, I mean, all of that's going on in the horses. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation. Did we see that since 9-11-2001 through the Arab Spring and all the other turmoils around the world? Kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines. We saw that. And pestilences. We're seeing that. And earthquakes. We've seen those in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, here's, this, here's the key. Verse 9, first word, then. If all these things are a reality, if you and I are living in the beginning of sorrows, the biblical, prophetic beginning of sorrows, and they line up with what Jesus said would be, there's a then. In other words, what's going to happen now that these global events are happening all over the world in general? Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. Jesus Christ is now looking at his disciples in the last days. He's telling his disciples what will be in the end. They want to know when will the end of the world be? What will it be like? The sign of your coming. He said, they're going to deliver you up to be afflicted. He's talking to the saints of God globally around the world. They're already doing it in Syria. They're already doing it in Nigeria. They're already doing it all over the world. Saints of God are being afflicted. America, get ready. Saints in America, get ready, because the signs of the times are here. We're looking at them. They're clear, and they will kill you. It's happening to our brethren around the world. It's coming to America. People, saints of God, will be killed for their testimony. Persecution is coming. Martyrdom is coming. 
And you as a disciple shall be hated of all nations for my namesake. Every disciple of Jesus Christ will be hated by all the nations of the earth. Because remember, by the time we get to the great tribulation, with the beginning of sorrows is only telling us the great tribulation is coming. By the time we get there, all the nations of the earth are now worshiping the beast. It's kind of like today, all the nations of the earth getting their masks on, getting their vaccinations, submitting and yielding to global world government. But this is going to intensify. This is going to grow exponentially. This is going to be very sophisticated technology. This is coming swiftly. It's digital. It's way beyond things that we're even aware of today. But he said the the saints will be afflicted and killed, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, shall betray one another, shall hate one another. I see that already in the body of Christ. If you don't agree with me, I hate you. I see so-called Christians cursing other Christians with their words and with their mouth. I see it all the time, and it's growing. You've probably known people that once walked in sweet fellowship and how, like a bitter marriage, they wound up hating each other, suing each other. This is what's going to happen in the Christian community globally around the world. Why? Because people aren't prepared for the level of persecution that is coming. That's a fact. They're not ready for the affliction. They're not ready to be killed. They're not ready to be hated, to live in a world where they're just hated. So they're going to turn back. They're going to fall away. They're going to defect from the truth to be accepted by the world. They can't handle it. And it all ties into end-time Bible prophecy. And then he said, many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. I believe that's happening already. And because iniquity shall abound, lawlessness shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And in this context, in this writing, in this document, in in Matthew 24, Jesus said, as you continue to read it, he said, there's coming a great tribulation that has never been before and will never be again. If 70 AD was the Great Tribulation, what happened in Nazi Germany, the Bolshevik Revolution, World War I, World War II, give me a break. 70 AD is the Great Tribulation. It was only involving Israel. It wasn't global in nature. What's forming on the earth now is the truth. Christians around the world will be hated by the global community under the control of the global one world government, under the control of the Antichrist, the red dragon, the beast, the false prophet, and mystery Babylon. These powerful principalities ruling in the affairs of men through those who have given themselves over. And Jesus said this tribulation is coming and that There was going to be power given to the Antichrist for three and a half years to overcome the saints. Obviously, there have to be saints living on the earth if they're going to be warred against, if persecution is coming against them. If great tribulation is to overcome the saints for three and a half years, then they have to be here. 
We'll talk about that more in another time. So I leave you with that today. I hope it helps, something to think about, something to pray about. If you learn something and you could share with me the things that you have heard, uh, let me know. I'd love to hear. All right, that's it for me today. I'm going to run. I want to thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Vince. You've been listening to The Watchman on Omega Radio. There is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week live radio broadcast on Omega Radio, 24 hours, seven days a week. And right now there's a Deliverance, the Christian Bill of Rights roundtable discussion with Patricia Joy Xavier. I hope you'll turn there and listen to that. It's a great, great study. You'll love it. And we'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing. Until then, have a super blessed day.